0: We are Michael Veazey in London, England. And Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. For show notes with links and resources mentioned today and for other GC resources like downloads, just visit our blog, theecommerceleader.com. Hey there, folks. So we are in part two or three in our big deep dive into inflation as regards, you know, as it impacts e-commerce leaders. So today we are starting our um, first of two episodes all about what you can actually do about this. It's all very well wallowing in the misery, or not necessarily misery, but seeing, you know, the tsunami wave coming. But what do we need to do? How do we take cover? How do we protect our businesses and even thrive? So we have 10 points list, and today we're going to do the first five or so. And uh, you'd be well advised to take some notes, I think, because not all of this stuff just comes from me or even Jason, who's a very experienced e-commerce operator, but we've drawn on some of the learnings we've got from um, mentors and uh, other business owners that we've helped along the way as clients. So 10 points coming up. If you need to take notes, great. If you don't want to do that, you can always head to theecommerceleader.com where you'll find the notes that we've made for you and some links there as well. Enjoy the show. And I hope this gives you a bit of, you know, armory and weapons to fight the inflation wave. If you're facing the kind of stuff that I've seen my clients facing that you just need to get your head on and just go, right, what's business like (laughs) response to this? Yeah. So
1: let's bring this brings us to our actionable list of things that e-commerce operators can do in the face of inflation being a reality. So let's work through this list here. I think we've got nine or 10 things. So you want to walk us through some of this stuff?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing is, I think, do your homework and take a view. I think it's, I can't remember who said mm-hmm. it, but it's the job of the CEO to see round corners, as somebody put it. And yes, it might sound pretentious to, to be the CEO taking a view on global economic issues when you're running a maybe a one or a five person business. But we are at the sharp end of this. If you're importing from anywhere, or you're part of a supply chain if the person before you in the supply chain imports, and that's most goods, let's face it, then you have no choice but to deal with this, in my opinion. So I'm drawing a few sources for this. And if you want to look into a few of the things, we, we can give you the references at theecommerceleader.com. But I would say you need to educate yourself about the factors globally, and you need to look into your particular corner of the, the universe as well, in particular. Yeah, I love that. I agree completely. You
1: do want to do your homework in many ways. In fact, here's just a su- subtle little prompt for that. When the U.S. government issued its PPP program loan opportunity, I know some very, very good business operators in the Seattle area, like in their industry, like leading operators. They had that PPP loan program set up for, you know, they had submitted their information literally day one, like when it was ready to go. And they're really good at business. I had other people who I knew who said something to the effect of, I won't quote them, but uh, something to the effect of, yeah, that was all too complicated. I couldn't figure it out. So I just, you know, didn't more. I didn't bother with that. But they could have benefited from that program tremendously. And so do your homework is a great first call to action. Understand what's happening with the programs that are available to you, the realities uh, that are occurring, you know, on the ground and I think you're right. You do have to have a point of view. And uh, head in the sand viewpoint is not wise. You, yeah. you do have to stay tuned up on this stuff and informed. Yeah,
0: yeah you put your head in the sand at bo- a moment like this, you, you just, you're yeah. toast, I think, yeah. frankly. Yeah. I, I just think there is not an option. But people yeah. try and, and operate based on the fact that things worked yeah. last year or last month or something. And there's a terrible, terrible tendency in internet marketing to uh-huh. say... Okay, well, I've used this clever tactic, some guy on a podcast said it, and, and that's not going to cut it in an environment like this.
1: <laughs> okay, there's a second one here that I have a different, let's talk about the second one. You've got, you want me to kick it off or you want to? This is yeah, I've sure. got some points of view on the second one. So go yeah. ahead. Walk us yeah,
0: well, you've talked already about raising your prices, and, and I think okay. that that's, that can be a really critical response. Now, there's two completely separate ways of doing it or reasons for doing it, I guess. One is that you're simply going to run out of products, and if there's a massive supply right. side issue and you are going to be out of a product potentially for months when you could normally expect to you know restock in weeks, then you have no choice but to uh, do raise two your things prices. either yeah. go out of stock, as you said at the normal, and then be out of stock for months, which is pointless, or mm-hmm. raise your prices sometimes to a startling amount. Not essentially to try and price gouge or to try and Mm -hmm. make excessive profits but because you're going to run out of stock anyway so you might as well manage your stock such that you you keep enough stock in until the next stock hits and i've as i've mentioned already that i had a belgian client who did that and and his prices ended up doubling and his profits probably triple or quadrupled and that was a side effect of staying Mm -hmm. in stock the second type is much harder to gauge which is to see if you can get enough products but it's a lot more expensive, which is pretty much true for everyone. I know who's importing with no exceptions. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? Are you going to blink first or is the competitive going to blink first? Are you going to simply pass your prices on to consumer and lose market share but retain your profit? And those are much more nuanced decisions. And that's going to be a who blinks first thing. I think I cannot see these prices not being passed on to the consumer. Yeah. But the extent to which your competition will swallow it is going to vary market by market. And that's more subtle.
1: I love the topic of pricing. I did write a little book on that one, actually, and happy to refer people to that. But Craft Pricing Power is the title, although it's not about craft you know, businesses per se. It's all about pricing. But William Poundstone's uh, Priceless, a Myth of Fair Value is another book I highly recommend. My first question, though, was going to be uh, on this one was consider whether you have pricing power or not. Because if you have pricing power, you should use your pricing power. Now, if you don't, then you shouldn't. But So I guess I was approaching this more as a theoretical, like, oh, in a normal time, in normal e-commerce world, you should just consider whether you have pricing power or not. And uh, Charlie Munger's talked a lot about this. Other you know, good, good business people have talked about pricing power. Charlie Munger, for example, says something to the effect of, if you've got a business that can raise their prices without customers flinching then you as a as a potential owner uh, buyer of that company you're buying something that you know you can immediately increase the value of by just raising prices and his examples like disneyland if disneyland can raise its prices for its ticket to its in in park you know experience or the soda when you're there or the whatever the t-shirt and customers don't flinch they have a great business now, what you're describing is reactionary in nature where you're, you're asking the question, if I'm going to survive, I have to ra- raise my prices or be out of stock. And so I think there's the truth somewhere in the middle is under normal circumstances, do you have pricing power and how do you use it? And then in crisis of inflation, how do I use pricing changes to mitigate my the, the damage that could be done to my business? And it's kind of a whole thing. I mean, there's there's a lot mm-hmm. to unpack in this topic, you know?
0: There is. But I mean, to your point, I guess my natural instinct is to assume that people are in the Amazon type environment where you don't normally have that so much pricing power. Cause right. It's very mm-hmm. You're going to have some if, you're, if you've if you done a good job of brand building or quasi band, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, and, a, and an amazing job on the product design and the listing and everything mm-hmm. else. You should be able to price more than just commodity pricing, but you may not be able to rise your price very much because okay. it is a price driven market on a Shopify or direct to consumer store then as you say, this is when your brand building could really pay off for you. And you're you're quite right. You could be in a much more powerful position there.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So that's the second thing. Raise your prices. So, so what's the third thing? So
0: the third thing is to consider your um, supply chain and particularly to either stop importing or to source more locally. For example, I've got somebody who's at the moment importing goods. I actually got a Shopify store. Occasionally people who, who sell their mm-hmm. Shopify stores come to me as well, amazingly. And I did say, look, I can't help you with that side. He said, no, it's the importing piece. I need to pick your brains. I'm like, yep, yeah, done plenty of that. So anyway, he's been importing from Eastern Europe and selling in the UK. So he's managed to deal with the, the mess that is importing from Europe, which is just are still pretty bad but it's not quite the massive car crash that it was but he was considering he was coming to me to talk about importing from china and i said well yes i could certainly help you with that but here's Mm -hmm. the thing and talks about the freight price increases and i said apart from that you're tying your money up for a lot longer anyway we talked about the cash conversion cycle another time right so how long you tie your money up for directly impacts the amount of working capital you need to tie up in your business for that product so i said given that combination I'd really suggest you source in the UK down the road, and bless me, he's literally sourced down the road. He's found a factory who happens to live in in, in a certain part of the UK where wow. he yeah. has a factory down the road that makes the kind of product he wants and he's gone and literally had a cup of tea and a conversation and, and that's just the perfect outcome. He's one of those wonderful right. plants that goes and does what you do and what you say and, and makes it even better. But yeah. but that's that's very particular to this time because three, four years ago I might have had the opposite conversation. I might have said, prototype in the UK but it's expensive, source from China is quick as you can. And so you have to adjust. Right. Whatever you've been doing for 10, 15 years, I don't care, you have to adjust to realities.
1: And your reasoning for sourcing locally is to eliminate shipping drama, yeah. both
0: the cost Absolutely. and
1: the, the time. The cost involved. and the time,
0: and just as important, the unpredictability of the cost. Because right. I spoke to this right. freight forwarding expert the other day, Sarah Barnes Humphrey, and she has people that have been working with her for 30 years in the, in the freight industry and the supply chain more broadly, and they they have never seen anything like what's happening now, yeah. and they refuse to make any kind of predictions. They don't even feel capable of predicting what happens next. Now, will this go away? If so, when? And in yeah. that kind of environment, I would not want to play with that kind of uncertainty because if you're trying to project your finances forward accurately, and right. you just have no idea. That's a whole different level of pain, but that's another reason to, to to simplify it.
1: I think that's fascinating because it really does mean that the globalization, and I heard other podcasters talking about this, the, the All In podcast with Chamath Palihapitiya, Jason Calcanis, and a few others are just a fantastic podcast. They're talking about the death of globalization. And uh, this is, to me, one of those elements where I think we all would say, hey, there's huge value in working with the guy down the street. To manufacture my products. and and that has been thirty years the the opposite story. The opposite narrative has been the conversation for the last thirty years, like how do you how do you manufacture in China? How do we yeah. go to china and, <laughs> and and or wherever? And then it was kind of like Southeast Asia. What about Vietnam? I think people are now describing this as the death of globalization. It yeah. for a lot of reasons and we'll see how that maybe it's a spectrum that swings back the other way but it's interesting yeah
0: i think that's a yeah i mean i don't disagree with the basic insight by the way just just to be clear peter zion is american but with if i may say so a very unusually global understanding for an american who naturally america is a big complex place and most americans just look in america and that's enough to deal with yeah. but he has a real understanding i think of the international situation and yeah. um, he's been predicting this since uh, 2014 which is extraordinary i mean to actually Accurately predict the future is pretty rare, so yeah, I think really this is it, he was seeing it being driven by other things than COVID, but I think it's the thin end of the wedge that actually is going to be much more about the breakdown of the international order, the post uh-huh. Second World War order, order, driven by the American military, uh-huh. which when they go home suddenly reveals all the conflicts that were there all the time. Britain falls out with mainland uh-huh. Europe, the Japanese and the Chinese fight each other, etc., etc., etc. So it's yeah. so I think that what that says to me is rather than just globalization versus totally local what you'll end up with is regional sourcing. So, for example, Uh my advice to my client is Mm -hmm. keep sourcing from Eastern Europe, which is quite close, same region, but also source locally, literally down the road as it happens. He he actually managed to do what I suggested, Mm -hmm. Uh, which isn't quite the same as China versus U.S. It's China versus U.S. or maybe Mexico in the case of Uh America. Uh
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, no, this is fantastic. All right, so, and, you know, we, well, let's keep going. We could go down all the rabbit trails and all these, but let's keep going. So, what's the fourth, fourth idea?
0: So the fourth one, you've mentioned, referenced it already that you had people on day oh, sure. one, that the really sharp operators that were ready to make m- most of government money. And there is a lot of government money in the US and the UK. There were mm-hmm. grants available here called the Bounce Buck Loan. You've referenced the US version. There's also grants for businesses to adjust to the post-Brexit world here. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of a sort of strange way for government to operate to kind of screw up your export completely and then then kind of give you grants to sort of figure out how to make sense of it but they exist yes. so the point is there are all sorts of obscure grants that was like a couple of thousand pounds or you know two and a half thousand bucks for that but the, the banks loans were up to fifty thousand pounds it's so 70 mm-hmm. odd thousand dollar loans so there's lots and lots of things available if you look for it and i don't think they're all over in mid-2021 Nor will it stop with the government, you know, giving those things out either, I suspect.
1: That's right. And and yeah, I I did mention this previously. So, and just again, I would encourage people to check it out, understand what the the deal is. If you're a real anti-government type, and you're like, no, I'm not taking anything from the government fair enough, but just realize your competitors are probably operating with these loans or grants or whatever economic incentives uh in place. And so the question is, you know, then how do you respond? So in our personal business, yeah. I mean, we looked into all that stuff and we we pulled the trigger on some of it. And, you know, and then, and then there's other questions come to mind. And you you reference this in the, these notes as make the most of post-COVID government money and grants, but Actually, in reality, if we're in a period of inflation, then the question is what other, you know, government money like in the US, there's a small business administration loans. And so is it wise to take an SBA loan, for example, that, you know, you use to grow your business or stabilize things? So, you know, I, I think it's a, it's a great question and people have strong opinions about debt. And working with government money and all that kind of stuff. But I think people should educate themselves and really talk to some veteran business people that they respect yeah. and get good information from business operators, not just, you know, your tax person or whatever.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. No, completely both. Not, not either or but both and. Because yeah, your tax professional will see things in a calmer way, but they're paid yeah. to be a little bit more risk averse than, yeah. than other entrepreneurs. It's interesting what you're saying. I mean, there's a different flavour in relationship to two things, government money and debt in America than in the UK. I guess uh-huh. here we have this more de real politique, which is like the cynical politics pushed forward by Bismarck, who was the guy who unified Germany, played clever political games. Well, in other words, a bit more cynical, but, but Britain kind of managed to, for, for better or for worse, and in many ways culturally for worse, hold an empire together for quite a long time, and so did yeah. France. And I guess you learn a thing or two about cynical but effective things in mm-hmm. the world. And I would say I would encourage anyone to be businesslike first and foremost. And for me, mm-hmm. that word implies calm, objective, mm-hmm. looking at the numbers. When yeah, if you hate the government, hate the government. But I wouldn't, you know... Cut off your nose to spite your face, as my mum used to say. Mm-hmm. It, it seems a bit crazy if you hate the yeah. government to then allow them to take you down. I mean, I would take, you know, look at it in terms of what does your business need to survive yeah. rather than being overly idealistic. I mean, you know, I would encourage anyone in that way. I'm not, not going to interfere with people's yeah. political beliefs or religious beliefs, of course. Yeah.
1: No, no, I, to- I totally get your point. Totally agree. I, there is just a different vibe, mm-hmm. I think, in the U.S. where there's, there's a real rebel. Spirit, that's called, (laughs) in the United States, whether it's, you know, of of any reason, there's just sort of the anti, you know, establishment, Mm anti-government, anti, anti, you know, like, like, don't tread on me. We we were started
0: with all that, right? I mean, that goes back to... Well, yeah, so, that's um, true. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, do whatever yeah. you want, but I would just encourage you to make sure that the government doesn't end off better than you in that situation. Yeah, if you exactly hate the government, right. don't hand them a victory. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, exactly, exactly hey, look, right. I, you know, I'm not there to interfere with Americans' love of yeah. liberty, but, you know, I would suggest self-interest is actually, you know, sometimes best served by making unpalatable but survivable in you know, alliances and that might be with the government yeah. but it's your call really you know? well it's two
1: sides to it isn't it this gets to our next point i think which is uh, let's go to number five here see mm-hmm. the danger of raised taxes and form a tax strategy yeah. So the, obviously the government giveth on the, in the U.S. <laughs> on the PPP, you know, an idle loan side and the government taketh away on the taxes side. And so yep. you do want to have a clear tax strategy, think it through, understand what the current tax law is, make sure you've got a good CPA or, you know, chartered accountant that you work with that is informed about our industry And really can speak into the situation you find yourself in. And if you don't have that person, man, you better find them because it's not the time to have a tax person who's not current and they're thinking and familiar with e-commerce And all of that. So it's more critical now than ever to have a very good tax uh, advisor, I would say. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And to your point, linking the two things like if you hate the government, like my wife, for example, is one of the most angry people I know about the government. And I know a lot of people are angry about the UK government. But she'll take every grant they give her, and then do her very best to protect against tax legally, really of course, because right. you don't want to be vulnerable to the you know, HMRC, Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs. Her Majesty doesn't pop round for a cup of tea. Some yeah. some very heavy looking men in suits will come and investigate you and make life hell. So that yeah absolutely if the government's going to take stuff from you you should take what you can get in my opinion but hey look it's a personal thing but yes tax strategy by the way doesn't just mean being up to date with what you need to pay right now and what's coming next year it's seeing the possibility coming down the line of for example increased corporation Mm -hmm. tax in the uk and maybe developing i don't know and i'm not a tax advisor so this is not tax advice people but Two, three separate entities, entities that own each other, having a trust, having money in a family trust. Whatever on earth it is, there are lots of ways to structure things such that you minimize tax. And okay. sometimes they have a huge, huge impact on your bottom line and your worth in 10 years time because tax is, for every business owner, the biggest expense you'll ever pay. So it's not just, I've got, got to emphasize, it's not just a question of a common or garden CPA or accountant. Mm-hmm. It's really getting somebody who understands company law, or whatever the relevant law is in your state or or jurisdiction. And we're talking serious stuff to do with serious tax rises.
1: Yeah, absolutely right. Okay, I love that one. Uh, Really good encouragement.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, all about the practical responses you can have as an e-commerce operator to the inflationary bugbear that's coming around the corner or is indeed upon you. So the basics here, do your homework, see what's coming. I think it's your job as a CEO to see around corners and that's enormously challenged just to find the time to do that. But guess what? I think you just have to do that. And you may find that you're going to have to build that into your week in a very conscious way. And there is nothing like a, a meeting with a coach and or a mastermind, preferably both, to force you to do that. I have that rhythm and I know that Jason has his mentors as well. So if you want to check out the masterminds that Jason or I run, the best places to go would be either amazingfba.com for such mentoring. If you want to have one-to-one work with me or www.theamazonmastermind.com, just writing it down here. So it'll be in the show notes and for jason's coaching and or masterminds the uh, place to go is WinningOnShopify.com. as ever for show notes don't forget to go to the e and if you've enjoyed today's show and you find it useful stuff and thought-provoking in a in a helpful way which is always what we're aiming to be then don't to f- forget to subscribe to the e- e-commerce leader podcast on your podcast player of choice that was the E Commerce Leader podcast with Michael Vizi in London, England, and Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. If you liked this content, don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast app. For free resources, including PDFs and videos on topics like traffic, products, and sales channels, just go to www.theecommerceleader.com. No hyphens, just as it sounds. Thanks so much for listening.